Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to another live episode of the Stratocast. I'm delighted to be joined by Mike. Again, we're going to run through Manchester United's last game, which was a 2-0 win over Granada. Last night, Mike, what did you make with the first half? I think, again, very similar to what we've complained about before. A bit sluggish, a bit sloppy, a bit slow. Manchester United found their groove in the second half. Yeah, found their groove um, sort of relative to the first half. It wasn't wasn't a very good game, let's be honest. Um, I just think, there was a sense of United just wanted to try and get through that that first leg with a comfortable margin of victory to take into the second leg, where maybe you know we could maybe rest Bruno Fernandez for the second leg, which would be nice. So I think the second goal made the difference for me. I kept I was watching it and I just kept thinking after the first goal, we need to get a second goal. We really need to get a second goal here. And um, I mean, that penalty almost didn't go in, Dale. I think the keeper might be a bit disappointed he didn't save that, actually, because yeah. it, wasn't, it wasn't a very good penalty by Bruno, um, who didn't have a great game, which is probably why United really didn't flow that well going forward. Um, I think the past month or so, you could raise a question on that, Mike, because his performances, I think he looks tired. I think he definitely looks tired from probably doing what you've been complaining about all summer and saying that we're kind of over-reliant on Bruno Fernandes. There's games in which, like last night, that you look at the scoreline at half-time and it might not be going United's way. In other games, we're looking at the clock towards the end and it's not going United's way. We are always waiting on Bruno Fernandes to pull something out of the hat. And look, when you spend 50, 60 million on a, on a footballer, that's what you expect. You expect your player to come in and do that. But I, what I've learned from this season and since Bruno has come in, United really need someone else to do the same job as well as Bruno to take some of the, the responsibility off him. Because if we want to win Premier League titles, we just need a better team, don't we? I think it's just a lack of... I've said this before, um, that United don't look like a team. They've all, They always look like a collection of individuals who've been in a training camp together for two or three weeks and are still figuring each other out. The problem with that is 
the vast majority of these players have been together since the beginning of last season. So I know we've had the I know they had the break in the middle last year with the pandemic, but they have a lot of them have still played together for a lot of games. And you would have thought by that point United would have a cohesive and coherent way of playing the game, which they don't, which then goes back to the questions you've asked of what the coaches doing when on the training ground, because you see the same mistakes often being made defensively. I thought they did quite well last night. Um although I I was a bit sort of scratching my head a bit how Granada didn't try and get more high balls into United's box because that's what I would have been doing. I would have been trying to win free kicks. I would have been trying to get corners. I would have been trying to get the ball out wide and put crosses in and target, especially Victor Lindelof. But it never really did. And um, was it Lindelof that played the pass to the first goal as well? Yes, he had a fantastic game last night. Yeah, maybe, I thought, maybe, I maybe, was... maybe he turned them off, that tactic, last night because he was really, really at the top of his game. And and just to get to that, like I expect this from, from Jesse, or for not Jesse Lingard, from Victor Lindelof, um, especially at this level, because it's Europa League and players like him that maybe aren't playing well every week, this should be an easier standard for him. And we should definitely see why they were chosen to come to Manchester United in the first place. Like Lindelof had obviously played very well at Benfica. He obviously wasn't playing poorly every week as, as we've seen at times this season. And I think there is a good player in there, but time and time again, it's not just Maguire who has the wrong partner beside him because they're both similar. It's also Lindelof yeah. has the wrong, wrong partner beside him. And, I, and I, I think there's a chance that both of these players could, could progress and could do well at United. If they go out and do the right business this summer and sign a centre-back, because wouldn't it be great if we had three, maybe four, who could stand in? But it's all about finding the right chemistry. And as you said about this team, it, it, it needs to start gelling now. Yeah, and I'd, I don't really... It doesn't. still doesn't look like that's happening. I mean, you talk about it needs to start gelling now. It needs to start doing it before then. Like, we are... Um, Gary Neville said this before. United are a team that play in moments, right? So you see the first goal. Fantastic ball over the top from Lindelof. I mean, a really, really good ball. Um, I would be... If I'd be overly critical of Granada, I would have said one of their forwards should have closed him down because I, I just think when you're in a knockout quarterfinal, even at Europa League, which is still a fairly high level, you would expect to not be allowing an opposition defender to take five or six touches of the ball, right? If you're a forward, it's like, yeah. don't close that guy down. It's no big deal if he catches you out and plays a pass because you're still going to go 60 yards. But instead, he was allowed to take a take a few touches and then see see the ball to be made over the top. But he's a very good pass to the ball. And you're right, they are they are quite similar. Although, I still don't know the reason for why they keep making the same quite basic errors, um, especially on set pieces, which is a bit baffling to me. That's that's a positional thing. That's not about, oh, are they too similar and all this. It doesn't matter who you got the back. You coach someone properly, they should be picking up on this stuff. So it's just a bit, bit of an odd one to me. But the main thing is we got two goals and we kept a clean sheet. I think that clean sheet makes all the difference. And the second goal made a big difference as well. And I don't see Granada getting two goals. I just don't see there's, there's two goals in that team. I could be wrong, but I just don't see it. If you think their top scorer's got 11 goals this year, that suggests to me they're not going to go and get to... I mean, I say this knowing that Sheffield United went and scored two goals past us earlier this season. <laughs> One of the worst performances I've seen from a United team under Solskjaer. But they shouldn't be scoring two goals against United. So, 
Um, I would say that second goal has really given us all the difference to go through to the to the semi-final. I was asked last night, and I get some questions up that we got from the Facebook group. I was asked last night about the defender. Um, pass a comment on him. He was a bag of shit. And there's no two ways about it. The, the, the referee was a bag of shit. I'm not going to try. I, I, I was like, um, I, that, that did, we've had this a couple of times this week because we had this in the City Dortmund game as well. And you look at these decisions and I'm like, UEFA have probably done this already, but I, I would genuinely have been looking at various betting markets to see what was going on around those decisions though, because some of them, you really looked at them and you think, I have no idea how you've, you've, you've come to this decision. I, I, I really don't understand it. And, you know, obviously I'm just, that's just me sort of thinking out loud and suspicions and stuff. And yeah, but but that, those are the kind of things that set alarm bells off with investigators when they're looking at suspicious betting patterns, those kind of decisions. Um, and you have to wonder how that referee, and I would say that, that, that it was even worse with the City and Dortmund game because it's a higher level match, how these referees get to referee in these games when they're making those decisions on a regular basis. I generally defend referees because I think they get messed around by uh, the referees' authorities and the rule makers who are constantly yeah. changing rules in ways that make no sense and don't make the updates to the rules that need to be. So when you bring in something like VAR, then you have to go, right, how do we need to update the rules and factor in margins of error so that VAR isn't so intrusive? It just just has everyone throwing their hands up in the air. Um, Hi guys, this is Mike from the Strettycast and StrettyNews.com. Just jumping in for a moment here while I'm rambling on in a nonsensical way, which I usually do. Both myself and Dale are fully aware of the real top story from United's Europa League first leg quarter-final victory against Granada last night was the streaker who ran onto the field, who bore a more than striking resemblance to Tom Hanks at the end of Castaway or Matt Damon towards the conclusion of the film The Martian. Um, but for some reason it just seems to escape both myself and Dale in this podcast and we didn't really talk about it. However, um, if you do have any questions about the streaker or any jokes or any glib comments that you would like to bring up in the next podcast, please submit them to our Facebook page, Stretty News, or at Strettycast on Twitter or at Stretty News on Twitter. Anyway, it's back to the show. I think at one stage we had racked up two, two or three, two yellow cards in the first half. Whereas Granada have had more, have committed more fouls than Harry Maguire is going to be suspended for the second leg now. Three players suspended, so you have Maguire, Shaw, and McTominay as of last night. Now look, I think after watching the first leg, um, I've seen nothing from Granada to suggest that we should be anyway worried. But maybe it's a good thing that the suspension comes now. And doesn't come in the say the semi-finals or none of those were yellow cards either. No, none of them were. No, none of them. One of them wasn't. One of them wasn't even a. One of them wasn't even a foul. Two of them were fouls, but they were quite minor infractions. And it's the referee just saying, "Just blowing whistle foul." It's like, all right, don't don't be doing that again, right? Mm. But I mean, the Maguire one. I don't think that was a foul, Dale. Well, you look at what happened, um, I think it was on Tuesday night, Mike. You know, it's a bit off topic. So looking at that, the the, the goal that Brissy Dorpin didn't get Jude Bellingham, I'm not sure if you've seen it. And, 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 and the penalty. The penalty, the penalty as well, there was that penalty. So, so this isn't, this isn't, we're not bringing this up as kind of like, oh, look at the, look how hard Manchester United are getting it and, and so on. What we're complaining about is just bad 
bad officiating. And we we see it every week in the Premier League. We see it every week, regardless of VAR, the, the delay that's taken every week. And, you know, and I haven't really said it before because I've kind of been in a cloud about VAR. I, I don't know. If it, I didn't know at the time if it's going to bring more positivity or, or negativity to the game. But I think right now as things stand, and it's not that was happened last night, but VAR in general, I'm sick and tired of it. I don't think it's important. I, I, I think it's a red herring, Dale. I think the VAR thing is a red herring when you're talking about a f- rulemaking of an officiating in the game. Yeah. Okay. When was the last time there was a really, really significant rule change to update the game where it needs to be? I would argue it was the back pass rule, which back was built in rule, 19, yeah. 1992. Okay. So you're telling me in the last 30 years, the, the, the game isn't due a big rule update to 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 because the whole point why you have these rule updates is you're basically trying to you're keeping pace with the changes in how the game is played right so the game now is more athletic than ever it's quicker than ever players are stronger they're faster than they've ever been you have to account for this you really have to account for this so i, I thought the initial sort of test running idea of having those two extra officials on the behind the goals that wasn't a bad idea. The problem was they just never used them. So there were just two yeah, guys stood there. Yeah. But the whole point for me of why you had them is that, for me, what should be why they're there is you have um, penalty box incidents. And um, I think the VAR isn't the problem. How VAR is implemented is the problem. If you want to see how VAR should be implemented, just look at Rugby Union and Rugby League. It's so slick and fast and efficient. You literally have a guy in a room. You have open microphones, which is definitely think something that they should they should bring in. I think they should definitely have open mics with the the officials. And literally, all you have to do, all you have to do is you've got a situation where the referee goes, "Okay, I'm going to refer this up to VAR because I'm I'm kind of fifty fifty on this." It quickly goes up to the guy. He takes a look at one or two angles of it, and he goes, "Yes, this is." This is what the decision is. You make this is the decision you need to make. That's how it works in rugby, Dale. And it doesn't take any more than 30 seconds. Um, you know, there's all kinds of things. Why do we still have stoppage time when on average you only get 62 minutes of football actually being played in a match? Which means fans have been cheated out of almost half an hour, Dale. That's crazy. Stop the clock and go to 35 yeah. minute halves and just stop the clock. Like rather than having stoppage time. Th- these things have been needed to be brought in for 20 years. And and I think all this stuff he's talking about, oh VAR's terrible, let's get rid of VAR. You're not all you're gonna be doing, you're not gonna be you're still gonna be having the same amount of airtime devoted to referees' decisions, whether you have VAR in its current form or not. The problem is the rules. The people making the rules, a bunch of fucking stupid old white guys who don't have a clue about football because they haven't played it or they haven't played it in forty years, not a clue, Dale. And this yeah. is the problem. We've got a question sent in from Periscope. Um, MJ Jonesy. Thoughts on United potentially getting Declan Rice as part of the Lingard deal. Um, he's not a fan personally. Yeah, I've thought about this in the past few days, to be honest, with Lingard really kind of pulling up trees at West Ham. And I, and I think they're going to want to keep him there, 100%. Manchester United are in a really good position, though, and a, a rare position. I've said it before that we don't really push players on when we want to. We don't get the money that we would want for players. We don't sell players pretty well. It's something that, that's been an issue for a long time. And finally, it seems that Manchester United are going to be in a good position at the negotiation table. 
and they're going to be able to demand a bit of money for Jesse Lingard. Now, I have thought about it, Mike, and I'm not the biggest fan of Declan Rice. I don't think he's good as some people make him out to be. I think he's a little bit overrated, but there is some pros too that he's versatile. Could be a player that we need and could be an improvement on what we have. So Manchester United might go asking for Declan Rice this summer. That would not surprise me. Would he improve the team? Yeah. Probably would improve the team. I think he's got quite a high ceiling on his game. I think he would. I don't don't think he's going to come in and set up to set the world alight. I think he's a good player. I think he's better than what we have. And then the thing is, would it be good business? Of course it would, because we're getting rid of a player that we can all agree, Jesse Lingard, probably is a Manchester United standard. He's found a standard now, and he's doing really, really well. I'm delighted for him. And if he, if he did stay, I'd welcome him back. But I just think it's too good of an opportunity for Manchester United to make some money. Not even make some money, but do some good, clever business. It's been a while since that's been done. Operating with a player that other teams want. It's always a good, a good position to be in. Also, if you're Jesse, also if you're Jesse Lingard, I mean, part of this Lingard move was with him with one eye on the Euros and him wanting to try and force his way into the England squad, right? Which mm. I don't think he's going to be able to. It might be a little bit late, but he may still get in because I know Southgate likes him. But if you're Lingard, it's also like, well, I'm playing first team football every week here, picking up a decent salary because West Ham tend to pay pay quite well, playing in a place where there's maybe slightly less pressure on him. And also, it, living in a city, as I've said this before, because he's had issues, not bad issues off the field, but stuff that's a distraction, like having to look after his family and stuff. And and obviously, him trying to sort of have, set up other business interests, which I don't have a problem with. If you're a footballer, it's a very short career. Yeah. I think if you've got any brains about you as a footballer, you should be thinking about what you're going to do afterwards and, and having another income stream. I just actually think London might be, in general, him moving to London might be a good move for him, but not moving to, say, like, don't move to someone like Arsenal, where I think there's still a bit of a mess of a club and he'd get lost in the shuffle. Obviously, Spurs could be the same, because I think they're a bit of a mess. Obviously, you know, Chelsea, because they don't need him. But West Ham is... A, West Ham are a good club, OK? In a decent part of London. They're the only, the only uh, London team in the top four. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And with a good manager. Not a great manager, but he is a good manager, David Moyes. For all that, it wasn't good enough for Manchester we, United. We have not said that often on this podcast. <laughs> no, no, he's not Manchester United standard. And I'd make the yeah. argument about Manchester United's current manager. He's not a United standard manager, but it doesn't mean he's a bad manager. Do you know how hard it is to be a Manchester United standard manager? There's managers better than them that have come into United and have have bombed for yeah. one reason or another, uh, including very recently. So, but he is a good manager, and I think. He would really appreciate what I think he clearly very much appreciates what Lingard brings to the table. And I think it'd be a win win for everyone. Last time I'm not stupid. I think they're aware of the fact that Declan Rice will move on eventually. And purely from a an optics point of view, I think they would rather he probably went to Manchester United than Chelsea, even even just because it would piss Chelsea off that he went to United instead of Chelsea. Although I believe part of the reason Chelsea didn't want to pay what Frank Lampard wanted to pay for him was because he used to be in Chelsea's box as a a youngster. He was on the academy and then they let him go and they just thought it would look bad if they ended up going and paying 70 million for a guy that they had in their academy a few years before. Sounds familiar, right? I think it would, I think it would look bad. Honestly, anyone paying 70 million for Declan Rice. 
I think that's madness. I think it's absolutely madness. He's and I don't, I don't think, I don't think they'd nothing. be able to get that for him in the current market anyway, right? No way. I, I, I look. I, I'd be hoping and look at Lingard right now. Definitely gone up in value. Definitely gone up in value. I'd be hoping Manchester United could maybe sit there. 30 35 million and ask for that kind of money for him in the summer i think i think we'd all be very happy with that but if we could get tech and right i think if you went maybe like 30 million and a part exchange jesse lingard i think that's good business all around I, isn't I, it? I, 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 think I think everyone I, would be happy with that and i think west ham would take that because i think they could it seems to me that david moyes the difference with david moyes at west ham this time when he was last there he's got everything set up how he wants so i suspect he may be in his head already has someone lined up to come in to fill that hole. I think it makes perfect sense too, because you can imagine Declan Rice after even after last summer being heavily linked with Chelsea. And there was some links about Manchester United, but nothing concrete. I think with with those links, he might have got niche last summer to say, Well, I've I'm doing really well right now, part of the England squad main player at West Ham and now I'm starting to get a, a bit of attention from these big clubs and he would have definitely got the itch that eventually this move will come. Now West Ham are in a very lucky situation as well that they have a player on loan who is doing really really well and I think looking at the age of all players the profile, Lingard's around 28, go to London now and, 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 and change the scenery he's more mature now he's a better footballer and he's he's playing really well he's happy it's the main thing main ingredient is happiness and i think he would be happy to go to west ham but i also think declan rice would be saying i'd be happy to get to manchester united and that could that deal could work really quickly it depends on whether now it, it's been reported in, in the athletic that manchester united are going to explore this potential deal. But it will be very interesting might see how West Ham respond. Declan Rice is a key player, but he's also a player that they probably accept will want to leave West Ham in the next year or two. And they have an opportunity to get Jesse Lingard, who in the in this current form, I don't think they're going to pull out of. I don't think they're going to want to see him go anywhere else. And there will be interest in him this summer. 100%. Um, another comic in from Dylan Donnelly, a writer at Stretty News. Good morning, gents. Realistically, how many players and who will leave the club in the summer, which will enable Solskjaer to rebuild the squad? Okay, it's a broad question. Um, but what Solskjaer has done so far since coming is he sold players well, and that's not like I've just said. It's not stuff Manchester United players man, managers have done well in the past. We've got rid of dead wood, and we're still in the process of doing that. But Mike, for you, looking at the squad right now, who do you think will be leaving in the summer? It's kind of well. I think Lingard will, uh, but we've discussed that already. Outside of that, I find it quite difficult to see who would command any kind of money whatsoever. Like, I think Phil Jones. You would almost just have to write off his contract to get him out of the club because I don't think anyone's going to pay any money for him, Dale. Um, unfortunately, that's just just the way it is. Um, I look around elsewhere. I think maybe if. United can get some money for Fred. They should probably take it and look move on from him because he's just not, not a... the standard that is required. Matic, Matic certainly, but again, how much money has he got to command? Not a lot. They're going to take a big loss on him, Dale. Um, both in terms of uh, the the fee that we paid for him, which was way too much, forty million, and uh, obviously some wages as well. But the big problem United have got is. The highest paid player at the club is David De Gea. And who's taking him? 
Like, I think United need to get rid of him, but no one's going to, who's going to take him? You know, I think back to several years ago when Real Madrid offered us 25 million and Kaylor Navas for him. Got in hindsight, we really should have taken that deal. <laughs> that was a great deal for us. <laughs> we would have got a much better end of that deal than Real Madrid. Um, but that's a huge issue for United. We have got, we have locked in to an enormous long term contract with him, which still baffles me to this day because the guy's been poor for two years, uh, more than two years. Um, what is he on? 350,000, something like that, a week before tax. It's the highest paid player at the club. He's on more money than Paul Popper and Bruno Fernandes. It's crazy. So that's a big, yep. that's the big yep. problem for Manchester United in terms of getting players out. I think he's a big issue that I don't see United are going to raise a lot of money in sales, get some weight off the wage bill, maybe. But that big anchor on their wage bill, I think they're going to struggle to get rid of him, quite frankly. I think the De Gea contract is an interesting one to bring up because when, before De Gea signed that deal, there was a lot of talk and a lot of fans were probably on the edge of their seat about the the, the the chance of losing arguably the best goalkeeper at the time. And I think he was starting to show then some bits of form that was worrying and they carried on, they signed that contract. But I don't think there, were any, there was any Manchester United fan at the time that didn't want him given the contract. And I think right now, every Manchester United fan who wanted him Wanted him given that contract would probably say. Mm, Don't want to I'm blow my happy. own trumpet here. I, I think I was one of the few United fans that even wouldn't have minded seeing him going when Louis Van Gaal was the manager. Yeah, well, I, I, I certainly didn't. But looking now, I think it's the right time to move him on. It's going to be difficult to move him on because, as you said, the money he's earning. Um, I don't know how much money Manchester United will will demand for him this summer. They'll probably do at a reduced price, just so someone can afford to give him the wages that he's demanding. I'm not, I'm not sure what's going to happen there. I don't think but, anyone's going to pay him those those wages, frankly. No, no, no Especially one's with um, higher, higher top-end tax bans throughout yeah. much of the EU now. Yeah, no, absolutely. And another question in here from Brian. What's, what's gone wrong creative-wise? We're lacking any form of penetration. Bruno is off the boil massively. Seems extremely static in front of their defence. Now, this this question, Mike, got a bit of a reaction on the on the forum. Um, there was a bit of a back and forth. Someone trying to or Jamie trying to argue that look, we're the highest scorers in the Europa League. Is there really anything to worry about? But uh, but I, I think there is something to worry about, and I I think I'm going to go back to my reason for not having a right winger and the lack of balance. There's no denying that you watch Manchester United most weeks and you're scratching your head a little bit thinking, why aren't we going at these a little bit more? Why aren't we showing a little bit more intensity? Why aren't we throwing the kitchen sink a bit more, a bit bolder? Why do we wait till the second half? Why do we wait till the very end then to start the engine flowing? So I think there's definitely there's definitely something not quite ticking. And I, I before I get to you, Mike, and your reasons on it, I need to stress that I think it comes from not having the balance in the front three. You look at Manchester United and you look when we, when we get the ball. We're starting games now with Bruno Fernandes and Paul Pogba. There should be no problems with creativity. There should be none. None. These players are creative players. They, they find pockets in the defence. They, they Brilliant passers of the ball. They dance around players. They should be finding create, creative sparks. No question about it. But you look at United and attack when we get forward. It's all down the left. It's all down the left. So when Pogba or Bruno... Or maybe McTominay getting the ball. What way are they looking? 
they get the ball, they're looking up, they're looking towards the left. What's happening there? Because there's no presence on the right. And I do think that would make a huge difference, not just to the midfield. Um, and, and, and in a moment, I get on to why I think that McTominay should be prioritised more going into next season as, as a player in the team. But Mike, the, the creativity woes that, that we're seeing, do, do, you, do you agree with Brian that they're there? And, and what do you think the problem is? Where they stem from? Yeah, there's, there's huge problems, creativity. I could see where you were going, you know, sort of subtly hinted towards, oh, you know, it should go on by a right, right winger, maybe with the initials JS. That would sort the problem. <laughs> it would not sort the problem. Um, I've said this a bazillion times now. Aaron Bissaka, very good defender, although didn't look very good against Brighton. He was getting absolutely rinsed down, down, his, down his right-hand side. But... I remember seeing there's a, I think it was one of those Planet Earth documentaries, and there's this beetle that they were talking about, which sometimes runs so fast it like goes blind. That's Aaron Wambasaka crossing the halfway line with the ball. That's what that is, and he offers nothing going forward. And in the modern in the modern game, Dale, your fullbacks have to offer an attacking presence. I don't get it. Doesn't matter who you've got on the right wing. Like if you um, if you look at Dortmund last season, you talk about Jaden Sancho. But they also had um, Ashraf Hakimi, who's this like flying wing back they had going down the right that they had on loan for Real Madrid. I think he's on loan at Inter Milan this season. So that that makes a difference. You need to have some presses down the right, down the right, attacking presses down the right hand side. But there's another issue as well, and I think it does come down to the coaching and the, and the management. I'm afraid, and that's you mentioned uh, a couple of weeks ago about. Donny van der Beek being a system player. I, I definitely, there is definitely something to that. United don't have a system. United's system is, well, let, let's get the ball to Bruno and then wait for him to do something with it. Um, that's United's system. You cannot be so reliant on one player as a top team. You can't. Now, you, is, is that in part because of personnel? Partially. But can could you get more out of these players than what we've seen in terms of being a cohesive unit and delivering more consistent performances, 100% you could. And as I said at the top of the show, this United team look like a group of individuals that haven't had much time together in the training camp. They don't look like most of them. You would never think most of those players have been together for for over 18 months now. You would ne- Nearly two years. You would never think that if you, if you watched them play. You'd think, has someone just thrown these guys together? Um and that's a huge problem. And that comes down to the coaching. Um, well, we know because it's been well publicised. There is, though, you look at you look at set pieces, for instance. There's no coaching on set pieces that goes on. They don't even have a defensive coach, Dale. There's no defensive coach. You know, I do not have a defensive coach. The goalkeeping coach does a bit of set piece work, do the odd drills here and there before games. But there's very little that's done. And I appreciate... The, the fact that you do have to give players some room to be able to improvise and think for themselves. But you, you, you think there's too if, much if, you, if you give no framework whatsoever, you, you just have a bunch of stuff that happens. And no team that plays like that is 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 ever gonna win is, is ever gonna win. They're not gonna win a league title because at the end of the day I hate using that phrase. I'm really sorry. But the real test of a team's battle is winning is winning the league title. So when City won back-to-back league titles, even though they didn't win the Champions League, I would have still said, for me, 
they were the best team in Europe for those two years. They were the best team in Europe because to win, you can not be a great side and win the Champions League. Like, you can. Like, if PSG win it, which I have a feeling they might this year, they look like they're probably not going to win their own league. And that's it's not a strong league in France. They're not going to win their own league. You know, I think Chelsea are another team and with a really strong chance of winning it. They're going to finish fourth. Remember Liverpool won it back in 05. They were awful that season. Absolutely dreadful. And they were dreadful for most of that final. But they still they still they still won because it's all about the thing with knockout football, you can set your team up for specific matches. And if you keep doing that, you could then end up getting your way to a final. You can't do that in the league. Like you have to be able to put out consistent performances. You need to have a framework in place. You need to have a way that you want to play and certain patterns of play that when you're not having a good game, you know, oh, we worked on this stuff. It's like bang, bang, bang. Suddenly you've got a goal and you've you've won a game one nil because you were able to produce this pattern of play by keeping the ball. And I don't see that with United. I'm not suggesting it should be like automatons, like a Valerie Lobanovsky style of total football, where it was all literally that kind of Soviet total football was all just preset, pre-planned moves. But there has to be, you know, I, I look at City and yes, they've got better players, but everyone knows where they need to be. In fact, I look at Leicester City, right? When we played Leicester, you watched Leicester in that game. As soon as someone picked up the ball, everyone knew where everyone was going. Like, they could just say, literally, one, two touches, bang, but, and the balls, they've released the pass. And it was just different class. And I think that is in large part because of the work that Brendan Rodgers and his coaching team have done with them on the training ground, which is why they've been able to be up where they are in the last two years, despite the fact that while they're not exactly penniless, they are out-resourced by the other teams around them. Just say that because I want to move on to Jose Mourinho for us to preview the game at the weekend. You just mentioned Brendan Rodgers. This has gone totally under the radar, I feel, because in the past, I don't know how many years, maybe four or five years, Mourinho has been in the media kind of reminding people of, of what he's done for the game. And, you know, I'm a great manager and I've won all these trophies and look at the players, therefore we're not getting results. In all of this, right, someone who's worked under Jose Mourinho, Brendan Rodgers, learned a bit, bit from him. He has tumbled, like, basically finished above him how many consecutive seasons now? Brendan Rodgers, I ha- I'll, ha- I'll, have- I'll have to double check. But he has seriously, without winning trophies, he has seriously overlapped him, Jose Mourinho. Seriously. Yeah. You, 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 look, you, look- po- you say the same with Pochettino's, his performance at Spurs, compare yeah. that to Mourinho's, right? Absolutely. It's night, it's night and day. Night and day. Night and day of a difference. And you look at Spurs now, they're making excuses for themselves. I'll tell you what happened at Spurs. When they when they lost the Champions League final, that was it. That was the that was the cough point. That's when the board should have said to Pochettino, right, you've built this team. Go build another one. We're gonna trust you with the rebuild. But they just reversed out, and not just reversed out cleanly of the shopping market. They reversed out and crashed into every car on the way when they appointed Jose Mourinho. <laughs> yeah. Every fucking car on the way. It was just, like it's crazy. You're asking, you're asking for tears. You're asking for tears. You have a, a forward-thinking manager, Mauricio Pochettino, right? And I know, I know. Looking at the league or League One, League One at the moment, it doesn't look like plain sailing. It doesn't look like they're going to run away like they usually do. 
But maybe he's throwing his eggs into the Champions League basket. And, and, and trust me, watching a game against Bayern Munich the other night, um, if, you, if you're a betting man, it, it wouldn't be a bad bet right now. On Jose Mourinho, Mike, in, in, and I don't think there's any Spurs fans listening, but to kind of bring in the conversation of what we experienced as Manchester United fans when he was in charge, and you look at what's happening now with Spurs, can you see any parallels? Can you name any parallels that yet yeah, I remember that happened with United and I wasn't happy about it because I, I, I've spoken to Tottenham fans since he got the job and some of the things that I've warned them about is happening. It's happening right from the right. It was happening within the first three months of being there. Like I thought it was really funny how he went to third season Mourinho in the space of like 65 days. Um, the guy's poison. He's pure poison. I, I do think his time in Spain and to actually to an extent Italy because he was constantly at war with everyone when he was at Inter. What, I think what happened was, well, really, you go back to those two points. Jonathan Wilson has highlighted two things that he think really did for Mourinho. One was him not getting the Barcelona job back in 2008, which he went for. He was one of the f- uh, two or three people that interviewed for it. It was him. Guardiola and I think Ernesto Valverde and in the end I think Laporta and Cruyff it was Cruyff who was the one that made sure Mourinho didn't get the job and that Guardiola got the job and that he didn't take very kindly to because he felt like oh you know I was here at Barcelona before and felt like he'd been put out and then the second one was him not getting the United job when Ferguson retired he pitched for that job Quite openly pitched it. He should have got the job then. He should have got the job then. And I, I don't think he should. I don't think he would have. I don't think he would have done a good job. (laughs) I think you would. In hindsight, in hindsight, Ancelotti was the man to give the job then. I think Ancelotti. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. And but he openly pitched that job. You remember his post-match interview after Real Madrid knocked us out of the Champions League. You could see then he was pitching, pitching for the United job. Yeah, and he didn't get it. Bobby Charlton was a big one of the main reasons why there was him and a couple of ex United players who still had a say in what was going on that blocked blocked him from getting the job. And then he sort of felt put out by the fact that Ferguson didn't even tell him beforehand. Um he tried to get Jorge Mendes to try and scupper the deal with Moyes last minute. That yeah, happened. Correct. correct. And I think and I think from then on in he was just um Red Issue wrote about this quite extensively as well in his first season at Chelsea. Yeah. Literally around the time where Ferguson announced he was retiring, like the first anniversary of that and Moyes being announced, Mourinho looked so grumpy Like around that time. It was almost like the fact I should be United manager right now and instead of being mm. back here. Um, and I just think he decided then he was just going to be like anti-Guardiola or anti you know, whatever United stood for, and he's poison. He's poison. And to go from Pochettino to that, it's like, I mean, you sold your soul to the devil to win a trophy, and the devil took your soul, and you got nothing back. For for me, looking at Jose Mourinho, I was going back to when Ferguson had to be replaced after he retired. I wanted Jose then. I still kind of think it would have been better timing, but I can see why people would say no now after he had his time at the club and after what we've seen, even the way he fell out at Real Madrid, the way he came to Chelsea, he did win a title, but he left under a great cloud shortly after that. Came to Manchester United, won Europa League and a League Cup, but again, 
didn't deliver the heights that we needed. And I think now at Spurs, he's, he's creating problems. It's never his fault. He doesn't want his reputation tarnished and he'll point the finger at someone else. All of that, while he was Manchester United manager, I, 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 I started to, to resent him. Um, I started to resent him when I heard more about the, the personal issues with Luke Shaw that just I couldn't get my head around. It was disgraceful. It was absolutely bullied. It was bullying. Like if you yeah. if you'd have seen that in any other workplace, that have been you'd have been able to launch a, a legal cl- like a a claim through the civil courts against that kind of treatment I, I from you. Don't want to get myself into trouble, but I I don't think it was far off that. Um, I don't think it was far off that, and I think that's disgusting. I think it, it, this this day and age. And you look at the top managers out there and you can laugh about it. You can take the piss out of them. I don't care, but it's, it's a nice thing. You look at Jorgen Klopp, you look at Solskjaer putting arms around players. If you want to get the best out of a player, you need to work a little bit harder as a manager. Like what they do. Mourinho has this kind of fall or this hard love where you're not going to get any affection off me. You need to prove it to me that you're the right player. I get that. And you can do that with some players. But the best managers know which players in the dressing room to do that. Alex Ferguson knew which players that he could give out to, that he could give a bollock into every now and again, and which players that he couldn't. You know, I remember a game in the Champions League, Johnny Evans got a bollock in, on the side of the pitch. He didn't do anything wrong. It was Nanny that did something wrong. But Ferguson knew that Johnny Evans could take that message and that that message would then flood. It did, it did the same thing with Wayne Rooney as well. Yeah. <laughs> Wayne yeah. Rooney was like... I played really well. And I think Wayne really went out and scored in the second half. Yeah. But he knew that not only would Nanny subconsciously go, oh, God, he's had to go at him. I better pick up here. Yeah. But yeah, like, he knew Rooney would go, show him. Like, watch this. Absolutely. And it was brilliant. I, I just don't like this. What it, what it turned out with, with Jose Mourinho. And the thing is, Luke Shaw at that time wasn't playing well. He wasn't playing well. And I think when Mourinho was coming out publicly slamming him, I think that contributed to a few fans doing so too because it's, it's only natural. You see your manager coming out in the media slagging off a player who's not performing. You're going to then raise questions. We all did. But the bigger picture is that we didn't know what exactly was going on. Well, where, so did it, where did it start going wrong for Frank Lampard at Chelsea when he started laying into his players and targeting players yeah. publicly right out yeah. in the Mourinho playbook? And as soon as I saw him start doing that, I just thought in my head, you have, he's finished. He is finished. <laughs> Luke Shaw, a bit, a, bit, a bit of information as well. Luke Shaw, obviously, when, when Solskjaer first came into the job, wasn't didn't have much confidence at the time. Was a player very much basically just hanging outside of the English team. That wasn't getting called up anymore. Um, he had gone from this prospect left back with the world at his feet. After get, then after getting a leg break, then after being slagged off by his manager publicly, he was totally crushed and he needed, he needed something lifting. And great work to... To his agent Jonathan Barnett at Stellar Group, who've, who've done an interview at Athletic, explaining the what went on there behind the scenes, and they've they've given him a lift. But another person who deserves a big mention, and I know he's got it before, is Solskjaer, because when he came into the United yeah, job, one of the, one of the players that he spoke to was Luke Shaw, and he spoke to Luke Shaw, had a meeting with Shaw about how he can make him better as a player and make him the best left back in England. Well, hats fucking off to you, Solskjaer, because that's what he is right now. He's the best he's left back. 20, he's still only 25 years old, by the way. Yeah, the thing you need to remember about Luke Shaw, because he's been around since he was 18, when mm. he first broke into the first team at Southampton under Pochettino. Um, and, you know, listen, by the way, 
when Pochettino was manager of Spurs, they were very keen on trying to get Luke Shaw yes. from United when Mourinho was there. So I'm like, <laughs> he knew there was a player there. <laughs> That's all yeah, I'm saying. It's a good job we didn't sell because he'd be stuck there with no, him again. I know. <laughs> I know. Mike, before we wrap it up, I'm going to get a quick scoreline prediction for the Spurs, Spurs game. Um, of course, we will be live blogging the Spurs game. We did our first live blog last night for the Granada match. And we had a few technical difficulties at the beginning. Um, a different experience with some humour. Like for instance, I wrote about Harry Maguire um, being Lionel Messi in the second half as he as he defeated his man with, with nimble feet and won a free kick. It was a, a sight to behold, Mike. But can we can I get shot to... as well? Where he was like bombed forward and had this shot and went wide. I thought, oh my god, yeah. <laughs> We're starting to see different things. So, yeah, um, a pre-match prediction for the Spurs game, Mike, if you have it. Yeah, I think United will win 3-1. 3-1. Okay, that's a, that's a that's pretty an unusually optimistic prediction from me. Yeah, yeah. The, you obviously feel that the Spurs team is flattened and, and won't be able not, to muster up a fight. I think if you're United, you go, well, what do you do? I, just, I mean, I just have someone my mark Harry Kane for the whole game. And I think Didn't he pretty much stops for... to do that. Didn't they suffer a defeat before the international break against Arsenal? Didn't Arsenal beat the Norland- or win the Norland- London derby? Uh, sure yes. Yeah, they did. They did. That was the one where Lamella scored that ridiculous back heel, which like drove Ken Early completely mad. Yes. He's like, Eric Lamella never does anything. And then he does that in a game. But um, And then um, he got sent off. He got sent off in the same game. <laughs> if anything sums up Eric Lamella as a player, it was him scoring a ridiculous back heel, a ridiculous sort of Rabona, and then getting sent off later on in the game. But um, yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, um, I think, uh, <laughs> I think United should be looking to beat this Spurs team. To be honest, mate. Yeah, definitely. And looking at look last week, going four points clear in the second after beating Brighton. Let's get this win over over the line. This is this will be a big one. This will be a big one to almost cement. I feel second place. It'll go a long way towards doing that. Beating Spurs and just want to beat Mourinho. I yeah, just want to yeah. beat him so bad. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? I I I don't think Scorcher needs to go too far into his um into his team talk for this one. I I I think there there's definitely a way to hit a few alarm bells in that dressing room before before the game on Sunday. You look at everyone should look at Luke Shaw. I know we just mentioned it. But it, it should be for those players to really go out and fucking prove themselves. Paul Pogba. I know Martial's injured. But I love I love I love it when 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 I'm annoyed with a United player and I come out and say something, criticize them, and then they prove me wrong. There's nothing I love more than that. Um and I think that game on Sunday is a chance for a lot of players, a lot of players to go out and prove a certain Mourinho wrong and, and kick him while he's down. For me, I'm gonna go for a uh, Two nil, another two nil win for United. I think we'll keep a clean sheet. Um, next podcast, we're going to dictate a bit of time talking about the goalkeeping situation at Manchester United. We need to do a big one on that because it's coming to coming to the stage now of a decision. I uh, know we spoke a bit about the Hayes future today, but Dean Henderson is he going to be number one next season? Let us know by sending us a tweet to at Straightycast or at Straighty News. And, of course, check out Manchester United News daily on strettynews.com. I'll be there covering news. <laughs> Trent Gate. <laughs> I was waiting for you to, announce, to, to see that. So for people that are just listening to the podcast, um, we have a video video form as well. And a big banner is after showing up and after putting it up for Mike, waiting for him to spot it. 
Um, Gary Level, Gary Neville for Prime Minister. Hashtag Trentgate. Did, did, did you before we go, Mike? Did you catch that debate during the week? What the hell was like? It was like was anyone actually listening to what Gary Neville was saying? I could. I was like, I was sat there. I was like, he was saying that he felt Gareth Southgate would pick Chant Alexander Arnold. He said he wouldn't have picked him. Yeah, <laughs> but he's like, he would. He feels like he would. He would get pissed, and it was like. Like I don't see what the problem with what he said. Why was like Carragher so outraged? I don't understand. Like, because I, I don't, I don't get it. Carragher outraged by someone having an opinion, and there's a lot of people outraged by the fact that he still has a job at Sky. But the less said about that, better. Um, Mike, thanks for joining me. I think we'll we'll be back again on Monday morning with a podcast that will be streamed live on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope, and for the just the podcast listeners are listening on Spotify and iTunes thank you so much for all your feedback uh, and rating the podcast and comments really appreciate it and we'll speak to you again on Monday come on you Reds Sports Social Podcast Network with lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.